Welcome to episode three of Rainbow Pridecast. I'm Danielle Dupuis, your host, and I use the pronouns she, her. Joining us today is the GLSEN 2019 Educator of the Year, Ace Schwartz. Ace is a seventh grade science teacher and started the Instagram page and website called Teaching Outside the Binary, in which they educate others on current topics within the LGBTQ community, as well as host discussions about how to engage with LGBTQ students and staff inside and outside the classroom. Thanks for joining us, Ace. Thanks for having me. Um, so I've been following your page for about a year or so and have been really impressed with the various topics you bring up for discussion. So I've noticed that you've ranged from LGBTQ plus literature recommendations to pronoun discussions, uh, thrown in some LGBTQ plus history, incorporating themes into the classroom and addressing concerns with parents and educators. So um, what kinds of things, what inspired you to kind of create this? Well, it's funny. So it's actually um, used to be my personal Instagram account. And if you scroll back like far enough, you can probably find all of my old um, pictures. But I did um, an LGBTQ plus follower loop uh, for specifically for teachers. And I was following all these really epic people. And it was right around the time that I had started to really explore my gender identity. And so I decided to kind of share and document that um, on my page. And it really resonated with people. And I realized that there was a lot to talk about and a lot that people just didn't know and were curious about. So I kind of shifted from just being like a personal journey to educational piece as well. I think that's really awesome. Um, And that also that you were able to be so open about it. Did you get any pushback from anybody? I mean, there's always people that leave homophobic remarks um, and comments, but they're typically people that, you know, just don't follow and haven't been there the whole time or just aren't willing to learn. But there really hasn't been um, massive, massive pushback. So what's it like to be a middle school science teacher? Oh, I love it. I uh, So I'm actually dual certified in English and science, and I love both, but science is just way more my vibe. It's just so much fun. And middle school is a great age, you know, because they're really starting to explore their identities and become, uh, you know, who they are. And that's just a really cool process to be like a, an observer for and also be part of. Yeah, and they're still, a, it's, they're still able to be very excited about things. And, you know, so you could do a lot of a lot of fun things there. And they still mm-hmm. get jokes, you know, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's your been your favorite science project that you've done with your students? Oh, wow. Um, I love anything where the kids can kind of <clears throat> take the lead and be really hands on. We do, they make a model of a cell. We've done explorations with ocean currents where they actually create currents in like a, a wave pool. Um, anything like that that's just kind of getting them moving and thinking and engaging in discourse is, is probably my favorite type of activity to do. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, since you are working in a school and you're working with kids, uh, one thing that, that I've noticed personally also as a, an employee is that sometimes, you know, as school staff, we aren't necessarily as forthcoming necessarily about who we are for fear of repercussion. Um, but you, on the other hand, are very open about who you are. Have you experienced any negative reactions from coming out as non-binary, like from school or work? Um, so I think that I have to acknowledge the privilege first of working in Maryland. Um, it's a state that has very explicit laws that protect me 
and my sexuality and gender, uh, whereas there are, only, there are only 20 states that do that. So I have a massive privilege that not a lot of people do. And so while I don't think there's been visible pushback, I have definitely seen changes in relationships with colleagues, uh, just folks that don't use, they'll just refer to me by my last name or my first name. They won't use mix uh, or they'll, you know, do everything they can to avoid the pronouns just because it's not something they understand or feel comfortable with. Um, But there hasn't been any uh, like outright pushback. Um, I've had a couple of kids removed from my class because their parents didn't agree. But overall, it's been a pretty positive experience. And I'm very fortunate and lucky for that. I'm sorry for those kids, you know, I'm sorry for you, but I'm sorry for those kids that are, are missing out from your instruction, because it sounds like an awesome classroom to be in. You touched a little bit on, um, you know, that you're, you're fortunate, but when, when like a kid's kids go missing from your class because their parents pulled them out, how do you address that with other students or do you just not address it at all? Um, so kids ask, they definitely ask like, why, why isn't this student here anymore? And, you know, I, confidentiality, I really can't say too much. I just say that um, it was decided that they would be moved to a different class. And it's not the kid's fault. Every time I've ever had an issue, it's typically been with the parents. And that, I think, makes a difference. Um, I don't think that those students wanted to be removed from my class. I think that it was definitely a parental decision, which, um, in some cases, I wish the school had fought a little bit harder for me because uh, I am a good teacher. And while I still have a lot to learn, like I think I make my classroom a pretty engaging space and a space where kids can learn. So I, it's definitely still um, tough, but I'm thankful to have like coworkers who I can like talk to and vent to and they validate how I'm feeling, which I don't always get from um, my administration. Yeah. I was uh, talking to my own students today and they were talking about educators in general and stuff. And, you know, they were sharing about their favorite teachers. And I think the teachers that students value the most are the teachers that make them feel welcome and make them, you know, feel comfortable to be who they are in that space. Um, You know, so that was refreshing to hear on a lot of levels. And, um, you know, it sounds like that's what you're providing for your students as well. So that's that's awesome. There's just something really cool about like living authentically. And I think kids know when you're being authentic with them, right? Like they can tell when someone's faking it and they can tell when someone's being authentic. And I think that really makes a big difference. Absolutely. Did you have a a teacher when you were in school, um, you know, younger, uh, that really made you feel that way too? Yes, my third grade teacher, I, I, every time everyone, someone asks me about a teacher that impacts me, I always go back to Mrs. Curran. She was just the most vibrant, um, loving person you could ask for. Like when you talk to her, you could tell that she was listening and cared about you. And mm-hmm. she would always like dress up for character days and, you know, make everything kind of connect to the real world so it didn't seem like what we were doing was just disconnected um Mm -hmm. and she was just like the coolest person ever I had a teacher like that in third grade too Uh, it's funny that you bring up uh, third grade miss uh, (laughs) um miss bowen her name was and uh she was from texas and she would always bring in texas and read us these stories about an armadillo it was it was (laughs) 
Um, but she was very animated and excited. And, um, I love that about teaching is getting kids excited about stuff. Um, how about your personal journey? Um, is there anything that you've learned, uh, or experienced that you wish you had known, um, before kind of experiencing it and maybe would have made changes that you would want to share with others? You know, it's interesting because while I'm older now and transitioning, I started my transition at like 25, 24, 25, but I've known ever since I was six that I wasn't, um, I was assigned female at birth. I've known since I was six that that's not who I am. And it was, a, I think, partially the time period and just my parents didn't completely understand and they were afraid. And so it was just kind of all pushed down until I was older. Um, and that was like very confusing for me, I think, because I had these feelings for so long, but I was so used to pushing them down. So, you know, when you watch media or read books, it seems like a very cut and dry process, right? Like you, you don't, you know, you don't identify this way. So you must identify like the opposite. Um, and so I originally identified as male and was using he and him pronouns, but it didn't completely feel right. But I didn't know that it was okay to continue questioning your identity. And, you know, it was okay to change how you identify. It's just not something I had ever really learned. And so, you know, going back, I think, you know, even these couple of years, that would have been really awesome, like giving myself that space and my, that freedom. Um, I think that would have saved a lot of, you know, anxiety that I experienced, like, oh my gosh, did I make a mistake? No, it's just part of this journey that's still going on. Right, a journey of self-discovery, essentially. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that your parents were a little, um, didn't really know how to handle that when you were when you were six, when you had this realization. How are they handling it now? Um, my mom has been really awesome, and you know she is trying her best. There's some things she's not willing to let go of yet. Like she still uses my birth name, which I have come to accept because she's there for me in a lot of other ways. And I, mm -hmm. I can reconcile with that. My dad, when I, you know, that's a bit of a more complicated uh, relationship and that's, you know, he's not quite um, in the know as much as my mom is. And that's something that I do for my personal, you know, well-being and health, mental health. And, um, we're getting there very slowly, but it's mm -hmm. definitely still a process. So I'm not completely out in with my family. And that surprises a lot of people because I'm so open on social media, but my family is not very connected with social media. So that kind of makes it easier. But uh, that, and I think that's okay. Like people don't have to be out everywhere all at once. Like it's, it takes time and it has to be with what you're comfortable with. And I think that, that um, you bring up a, a a good point is that a lot of people are out in some areas and not others. And social media kind of, I feel like gives us a lot of, um, of the feedback and support that we need to thrive as humans that we might not necessarily get from our immediate family. Um, you know, cause we were kind of given that family rather than, you know, one that was chosen for us essentially. Yeah, absolutely. The The relationships that I have with people on social media are just so beautiful. And I'm very thankful for the people that I've met. And I never would have met them without like Instagram is my big platform. So that's been that's been really nice building that community. Absolutely. I think that's that's awesome. 
And, you know, I'm a librarian by trade, and I was super impressed with the recent list that you and one of your colleagues, I believe, put together of the LGBTQ plus titles that were published in the last year. And you even did like an elementary, a middle school and a high school themed um, list for those. Mm -hmm. Uh, What made you guys decide to do that? Sure. So I had done it in isolation last year. And it was, I mean, the research that went into that, it was about like 40, 50 hours of work of just research. And then, you know, another 10 plus hours of putting all the slideshows together. So when I did it this year, I wanted to get more people involved to spread the workload, but also because I am just one person and I wanted to make sure that lots of folks were represented and had Mm -hmm. a say in these lists. So I worked with Gender Inclusive Classrooms, The Tiny Activist, Inclusive Storytime, and Tiana Reed's LGBT. And between the four um, of us, we, you know, we built these lists and it came as kind of a passion project. People had always been asking me for book recommendations and it was just a lot of the book recommendations were good intentions, but were written by straight um, cisgender authors Mm -hmm. and not saying that straight cisgender authors can't do a good job with these storylines, but it's definitely more, I think it's important that um, there's a hashtag own voices and it's so important that people who have those lived experiences are the ones writing the books, um, getting that visibility, getting that platform. And so we really wanted to honor that with these book lists and uh, gender inclusive classrooms and inclusive story time have extensive knowledge with elementary, which I don't, I'm middle school. So that was really awesome. And then Tiana and I collaborated on the um, high school and adults mm-hmm. uh, book list And so it was just, it was really cool. That whole process of working together was just really fun. And I think we uh, are giving people a good starting point, but there's definitely like so many more awesome texts out there. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I absolutely love that. And um, when, you know, we just uh, released our uh, edition of the literary magazine, Rainbow Vision. Um, And this was kind of a, you know, something that was done, um, by me and one of my students who was an intern that served as the editor. And we gathered uh, original works from around the County and students kind of wrote their own stories and all but one of the students identified as LGBTQ plus, And we had one submission by an ally. And um, I think it's, I'm hoping that it's going to change a lot of people when they read this and they can kind of be inspired that, um, you know, these stories are out there and then hopefully we'll be able to get some more submissions next year and be able to continue this project. So hopefully we'll be able to open it up and um, get more submissions from students from, from around the County and um, maybe even outside, of, <clears throat> maybe even outside of Maryland at some point, it'll be awesome as well. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Um, so have you read any um, books that you would recommend recently? I yes I well, I will always recommend um they call me mix by Lourdes Rivet uh Rivas it's just it's a picture book um elementary and it's just a, a beautiful introduction to what it means to be non-binary mm-hmm. honestly it was the first book I think I'd ever read that was uh about being non-binary and I 100% cried while reading this children's book Aww. and it was beautiful and it's great that it's available for kids now right that kids can get exposed to this and uh, learn about this at such a young age. I just finished Felix Ever After by Case and Colander. I was super fortunate to get an advanced reader's copy from Harper's oh, Collins, and I believe I it comes too. out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I finished it in one night. It was just phenomenal. Blew me away. The character is relatable because he's not perfect, 
Uh, and so, like, you're cheering for him in some scenes, and in other scenes, you're just like, no, why would you do that? Uh, so it's definitely, like, a realistic high school experience, I think, and it was just, it was awesome. And Kaysen, I've read several of their books, and they're phenomenal. Fantastic. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it's on my uh, on my bedside table to, uh, to read, so I'll definitely uh, pick that up um, to read tonight. Um, so speaking of books, uh, when you were in, in school in middle school and high school, do you ever recall there being, um, you know, a book out there that had LGBTQ plus characters and you were like, oh, wow, this is, this is kind of awesome. Nothing that was ever read in school. It was actually kind of an accident that I read a book with LGBTQ plus characters. Um, I was a huge fan of Colin Farrell, the actor, and he was mm-hmm. in this movie called Home at the End of the World, which um, was about, it had a queer storyline. It took place during the AIDS uh, crisis. And I, because I liked the actor, I read the book. I wasn't allowed to watch the movie, but I was able to check the book out from my public library without my parents knowing. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, that was the first time I'd ever read a story about a queer character. And it wasn't at school. And I had so many questions. And when I went to ask, my teachers those questions you know oh we can't talk about homosexuality we can't talk about stuff like that at school and that was kind of like it got just shut down any conversation and so I grew up having all these questions and no answers until I was able to look for them on my own so um that's fantastic that you know that now that we're having a lot more literature and that's out there that's available for students um so I'm guessing and I'm making an assumption here but I'm going to assume that you have a classroom library or a section in the media center filled with LGBTQ plus books. So it's, we, so I have a classroom library and um, even though I teach science, we read a lot of science fiction and science fiction has some great queer characters. So I have those books on my shelves and then our library has LGBTQ books, but we actually genrefied our library. Our media specialist, um, Christine Hurley, did a beautiful job just basically categorizing the library by their genres. And it was this huge project. And somebody uh, asked if she was going to make an LGBTQ plus section. And she said, no, they're going to be in with whatever genre they belong to because those stories are every story. Like they don't need a special section. Um, they, they should be in every genre because that's like, you know, anyone can pick up a book with a queer character and it's, you know, it's just a, another book. And I thought that was really important because I understand like the idea of highlighting those texts, but at the same time, I think it's even more important that we normalize that these can be in any story. So if I use the term LGBTQ plus, does that include non-binary folks as well? Sure. So there's no really wrong way to say LGBT, right? Some people will just say LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQIA, LGBTQ+. Um, I really like using LGBTQ+, because that plus really encompasses all of those other identities um, and acknowledges all those other identities, including non-binary, which in itself is a very large umbrella um, that can mm-hmm. fit so many other terms. And then, you know, I was just thinking too, I also had a question about non-binary. So I have been, obviously I'm, uh, I came out to my parents when I was uh, probably around 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously I've been a part of the community for a while and 
I had never heard the term non-binary prior to around, I want to say it was probably about three years ago. I think three years ago is probably the first time that I had heard non-binary before. Um, had, had this been something that you, I mean, you'd mentioned, you'd alluded before that, you know, you had kind of started transitioning to male and then realized that that really wasn't your identity. And, um, you know, had you heard the term non-binary before or was this also, because I feel like it's like been a new, a recent kind of gender identity. Am I correct or? So the concept of like the, another gender just, so um, we'll kind of start at the beginning. Uh, Society operates with the gender binary. And so a binary Mm -hmm. is made up of two things. So the gender binary is just male and female. Uh, Mm -hmm. There have always been third genders in different cultures. I mean, you've got two-spirit with um, indigenous cultures. I know in um, India, they have a a third gender. So the uh, concept of something beyond male and female isn't new. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think using the term non-binary is, uh, I don't, don't, I'm honestly not sure when that really started. I'd say it's fairly recent or it's it's becoming uh, more, there's being more, there's more, awareness of it um but non-binary just means that you don't identify as male or female and so you can fit a there's a lot of different terms that kind of go under that so like gender fluid um demi boy demi girl like all of these different uh terms and it's just you know some people just use non-binary like i do and some people Mm -hmm. you know have a more specific term that they feel uh fits them better or they identify with more so it's it's really just dependent on what how someone feels I remember when I was around um, seven years old and I was wearing a purple coat but I my hair was like super short um, because of a, a little incident that happened when we were in Florida and my grandmother decided to cut my hair herself <laughs> um, so there was no salvaging it um, so we I had to go very very short at a young age and um, we were sitting there at a restaurant and somebody addressed me as, um, you know, what would you like for dinner, young sir? And I remember being kind of taken aback and a little offended, you know, that somebody had called me by the wrong gender. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, and I didn't say anything, like I didn't correct them or say anything. And I kind of look back on that moment being a little bit upset, but um, do you find that, um you know, do you have to kind of correct, do you correct people when they use the the wrong pronouns for you? Or do you, when you introduce yourself to somebody, do you just kind of, you know what I mean? Like, do you say, I go by, I go by mix and these are my pronouns or? Sure. So normally when I introduce myself to someone new, I always say, hi, my name's Ace. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs. Uh, and then I usually, you know, will, uh, ask for their name and, and pronouns. Um, and that's just something I've just started doing because we should be normalizing the practice of asking for pronouns because we mm-hmm. tend to make a lot of assumptions about people based on name and you know what they look like or sound like. And we really can't assume someone's gender based on those traits, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something I've been doing and I am constantly correcting people. Um, my students, it, it took a little bit of adjustment, I will say, by the time we had left after um, the quarantine and the lockdown started, they had gotten really good at using the correct pronouns, but it took, I mean, up until that point in March. So, you know, September to March, uh, it just takes time. And uh, there are honestly some days when someone misgenders me and I'm too tired to deal with it. 
So mm-hmm. I, there are times when I let that slide just because I don't have the bandwidth. Um, and even though it's a quick little, oh, actually it's they, it's just, you know, it's, I'm always saying that. So usually I, I do correct people. And then there are some times when I'm just like, you know what, we're just, I'm just going to not deal with this right now. <laughs> So to be more supportive of um, non-binary folks, do you think it would be helpful um, if cisgendered people were to use, uh, to introduce themselves using their pronouns as well? Yes, it's, it's awesome. And it just, it's awesome because, you know, then we don't have to make assumptions. Uh, it's also awesome because it makes, uh, it, it lessens the burden. Like I'm always the one introducing myself with my pronouns. Um, I'll never forget. I went to a a meeting for uh, in my county, and it was teachers from all over the county. And one of the people there actually follows me on Instagram, uh, which was really cool, like small world, right? And we introduced ourselves at the meeting, and I had already prepped my like little my you know spiel, and she went before me and introduced herself with her pronouns. And she was cisgender, like, you know, she did not, she was the only other person up to that point to do so. And that just made me feel like really safe. Um, And like, okay, like, so there's someone else who gets this. And, you know, I knew she followed me on Instagram, but like she, like, you know, she showed up and she did that and she didn't have to. And that was really um, helpful for me and made me feel a lot more confident because sometimes when, especially since I use they and them, which are pronouns you don't typically encounter, um, you get people looking at you like, oh, well, why did you have to be like, you know, why did you have to do that? Like what, try to make yourself like special or whatever, which is unfortunately the reaction some people have. Um, but because she did that first, that took some of the burden off of me. And that was really cool. So I, I can say that that makes a huge difference when cisgender folks uh, do that or, you know, ask for someone's pronouns or put their pronouns even in like their email signatures Little things like that really do make a big difference and signal that you're supportive or at least you're trying to understand and, and be supportive of the LGBTQ plus community and that um, you're working to make yourself and your space safe and inclusive. And I'm going to make sure to update my email signature as soon as we end this uh, podcast, <laughs> um, just to make sure that I'm also doing that. So you uh, heard it from the source. Um, so go ahead out there and make sure that we are using um, our proper pronouns when we are introducing ourselves and also addressing others. Um, I think that does go a long way um, just to show respect and a general care and concern for other people as well. Absolutely. And I have a whole highlight on my Instagram page where I go through different examples of like where you can put pronouns, how you can introduce yourself with uh, pronouns like, you know, sentence stems kind of. So like, if you're not sure how to do that, um, I do have some suggestions that other people use and have worked for me. And if you want to follow Ace, Ace is located at Teaching Outside the Binary on Instagram. And your website is also teachingoutsidethebinary.com. Yep. Was there, were there any inspirational words that you want to share with, um, students that might be kind of experiencing different feelings right now and they're not sure, you know, maybe regarding sexuality and gender where they might fit in? Yeah, I think it's so important to know that however you are feeling right now is totally valid. 
you know, you can be questioning, you can be confident, um, wherever you are in that journey is it's your journey. You don't have to compare it to anybody else's and it is okay to change your mind. Uh, it's okay to have different feelings or to realize those feelings have evolved and it's still just as valid as your original feelings. I don't think we're told that enough. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and answering um, all these questions and telling us about your your mission. And um, you sound like a super fun science teacher and your students are so lucky to have you. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Again, you can follow ACE on Instagram at Teaching Outside the Binary. You can also participate in their session, supporting non-binary students and educators in school systems, at 2 o'clock p.m. on May 15th during our online HOCO Rainbow Conference. For more information about how you can register for the HOCO Rainbow Conference, please visit us on Instagram or Twitter at HCPSS underscore pride. The music featured at the start and end of our podcast is Work by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License.